Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Last of Us Nerds Podcast as we continue breaking down The Last of Us on HBO. Excited to be back. Excited for those of you that may be joining us for the first time, if that's the case. Welcome. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob, joined by Tom. For those that may not have listened the first couple episodes, two huge fans of the game that are breaking down this show on HBO uh, kind of comparing it a bit to the game, just talking about something that we feel very passionate about. Tom, you want to uh, let them know kind of what the structure of these uh, episodes are going to be? Welcome in, everybody. Hello, Jacob. Happy to be back with you. Uh, yeah, so I want to make one thing abundantly clear, as always. This is a podcast that is safe for people that do not want spoilers uh, for the rest of the show. While we are huge fans of the source material, we're mostly going to be breaking down what's happening in each episode, the plot, the characters, uh, the episode itself, what we think about it, uh, about the different choices that were made, how it's adapting some key moments from the game, how it's changing some different aspects of the game, and what we think about that along the way. Uh, the vast majority of the podcast will be non-spoiler, meaning we're not going to go in-depth on any plot details whatsoever uh, about future episodes to come. And then at the very end of the podcast, we'll have a clear spoiler break where we will be unleashed uh, uh, like a clicker in a pool in a Santa Barbara compound. Uh, We'll be off the chain, roaming free with all of our speculation uh, of what we think is on the way, uh, what where we think certain changes in the story are headed uh, and what we're expecting next week as well. Uh, But first things first, Jacob, two episodes in the book. This one, directed by Neil Druckmann, as you said, what did you think of this second installment of The Last of Us? It was a fun episode. It was in line with how we thought a couple things would go in, uh, as we talked about in our spoiler section last week, and it was a little bit of a different feel to the first episode. Felt like we really dove into uh, what The Last of Us is going to be about, and you got a sense of just how... I guess dangerous this this kind of world is now in this post-apocalyptic world with really our first true interactions with uh, zombies or, or clickers, obviously, and and all of that stuff. It it was I enjoyed it, obviously, and it, it was a a fun episode that I mean, this these episodes do a great job of kind of keeping me engaged and and entertained not that that was probably pretty hard to begin with but that's kind of my biggest takeaway is how engaged i feel like these episodes have me where the time just kind of flies by when i'm watching yes i think it was another great episode of television uh i would still say the premiere was was a little bit higher in my book so far um but obviously we had a lot of key seminal moments that happened uh, especially without break day in that first episode that obviously we talked about at length in the last episode about how 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 much they crushed a lot of that. Um, but obviously this one still had some huge moments. We got introduced to clickers. We got uh, the death of a notable character, RIP tests. We're going to talk a lot about that. Um, one thing for me, one of my key takeaways, I was a lot more impressed with Bella Ramsey in this episode. So I, I, d- I didn't really go strong on a take last episode just because I, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't firm on a take yet. I wanted to give it a little bit more time and sort of see how I felt. Um, I don't think I was blown away by Bella Ramsey in the first episode, but I was like, OK, so far, so good. Interested to see how this goes. 
this episode, we got to spend a lot more time with Ellie, got to see a lot more of her personality shining through. Uh, and I was really impressed with with Bella Ramsey in general. That was one of my main takeaways uh, from the episode. Pedro crushed it once again, but was really impressed with Bella. And obviously, Anna Torv had quite a showcase as Tess uh, for possibly her final episode. Who knows if we'll see her in some flashbacks going forward. Not clear, but um, that was one of my main takeaways uh, from this one. But overall, feeling really positive about the show overall. One thing that we know for sure is people are watching because Mm -hmm. uh, per HBO is the largest week two audience growth for an HBO original drama series in the history of the network. So 4.7 million initially watched the premiere Uh, over the week. That number grew to 10 million. And this episode after day one was 5.7 million. So about a 1 million jump. Have have to think that a season two announcement is coming very soon, which obviously will have a lot of thoughts about that when that happens um but jacob how's your excitement level for the show overall are we gonna see a one million jump in downloads for the podcast this week as well is that how that works yeah yeah it's true i I demand five point at least 5.7 million downloads i feel like if we get to that point we'll be at a good spot by the way if you haven't yet please follow us on twitter at tlou nerds we're starting to get some people following us over there and reaching out saying they like the podcast it's greatly appreciated make sure leaving us a positive review uh if you're enjoying the content um and uh and we'll uh we obviously would love any review that you could uh send our way with some kind words but we need those five stars it helps the algorithm helps us to reach more people if you have a last of us buddy like jacob is to me that you love talking about this show or this game or this story with make sure you send them uh our way as well if you're enjoying the podcast yeah this show it, it i'm glad that a lot of people obviously are are joining um the the premiere was fantastic and to see not just everybody come back, but to see how many people jumped in and joined for second episode was I'm loving how much people love this <laughs> because as we said, kind of in our uh, first episode, we just want everybody to experience this thing that, that we love so much. So I- I'm happy to see this grow, this audience continue to grow. Uh, sh- like you said, surely a-, a season two announcement is coming, but before any talk of season two, let's talk about episode two and another interesting cold open that uh, told us a lot. Yeah, so part one, we open on Jakarta on September 24th, 2003, two days before Outbreak Day that we experienced in the last episode. Uh, in Jakarta, Indonesia, Professor Ibu Ratna, professor of mycology, which is a study of fungi at the University of Indonesia, is approached by local military officers and is brought to a laboratory. Uh, She examines a sample under a microscope, which she confirms is a type of cordyceps, the same kind of fungus that was described to us in the premiere's 1968 cold open uh, that can invade the mind of ants, which again is a very real fungus. Uh, Professor Ratna claims that infected uh, cordyceps, excuse me, this cordyceps infection cannot survive in humans, but is brought in with a hazmat suit to inspect the corpse of an infected human that has been shot dead. She finds a bite mark on the corpse's leg, And she cuts into it. Some gross fungal stuff is underneath the skin of that leg. Uh, She pulls some disgusting fungus tendrils from the mouth. Once removed from the mouth, the tendrils reach out, yearning for a new host. And Professor Ratna goes, and leaves the room, understandably. Uh, We learn that this early infected came from a flour and grain factory in Jakarta. And Professor Ratna notes that this would be a perfect substrate or perfect place or surface for a fungus of this type to grow. Uh, this infected corpse, this woman, 
bit three people before being shot by police or military officials. And they had to be, these three people had to be executed sometime after they were put into observation. Uh, But they don't know who bit her, this corpse. And worse yet, there are 14 other factory workers that are missing. The military official turns to Professor Ratna for hope, asking to help them create medicine or vaccine uh, to help them stop this from spreading. But Professor Ratna says there is no medicine or vaccine for this. There's only one solution remaining. Bomb. She urges them to bomb Jakarta and all the people in it to help contain the outbreak and then requests a ride home so that she can be with her family in what she now knows are likely to be her final days. Shout out to the theory that we had last week from Anagnost on Reddit who absolutely nailed this, that this is where the origin is from. It's, like I said, another cold open that has kind of served as exposition for learning about this outbreak this one much closer to the to outbreak day, as you said. It's the first time we kind of step outside of America when it comes to the Last of Us universe. And this scene specifically, there is the show has a ton of attention to detail, but this scene specifically was shot in Jakarta, in in, in Indonesia. There was another uh, post on Reddit from um it's awesome kid who just expressing a ton of excitement for just how accurate this scene was, this cold open was. So many little details that this show clearly cares about. It had a, a kind of a, a Chernobyl feel to it, which isn't shocking, but it was a really fantastic way of both giving us information about the outbreak and really like driving home kind of how serious all this is. For sure. I thought it was really cool that we're finally getting, uh, like you said, a glimpse outside of the United States uh, in the Last of Us universe, which was never the case in the game. We never spend any time outside of the United States. It's solely focused on America. Uh, I guess I was wrong last episode when I said that that cold open was going to be the most chernobyl the show is ever going to feel. Nope, this was even more chernobyl with like the hazmat suit and the, uh, the whole situation happening in Jakarta with uh, Professor Ratna. Um, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, they shot in Jakarta. Sounded like it, it very much seemed very authentically Indonesian. Um, I thought it was great that we're getting a new, credible, global, uh, international character that can comment on some of the stuff about the outbreak, being a professor of mycology and, and an expert on the field of fungi. Um, some more gross stuff. We got more more mouth tendrils. It's not going to be the last. J- Jacob, how how are you feeling about the tendrils two episode in? I'm retracting my hot take from last week, which tells you uh, it wasn't a great hot take. There wasn't one that I had a ton of belief in. I'm retract. I, I love what they've done. We'll talk more about it when we get to like present day and, and whatnot. But the kind of the the way it connects all the the zombies and, and it, it makes more sense in a TV show than kind of the spores do and there there were reasons that that make a lot of sense so i enjoy the tendrils from a storytelling aspect now i learned a rough lesson this week that i sat down with some food to eat during this cold open and very quickly was like "Mm, 
I don't know that I want to eat anymore. <laughs> and so, yeah, when as you said, when she uh, cuts into the leg and you just get a glimpse of the fungus there, who boy, uh, lesson learned the hard way for this show. I think that was the grossest part was like the leg fungus under the skin. That, that was even grosser than the than the tendrils to me. But hey, you know what's not every Molotov hot take that we throw out is going to be perfect. <laughs> Sometimes you have a problem and you throw a Molotov cocktail and then you have a whole nother problem, as Jason Mendoza of The Good Place would say. And, you know, sometimes you throw a Molotov and you're like, oh, shoot, I really need a health kit. I, I shouldn't have done that. So uh, these these are these are the struggles of The Last of Us fans uh, indeed. But uh, obviously the flower theory uh, was confirmed. Interesting that Professor Ratna was eating a salad at lunch also. So she was not going to get infected by the flower either. Um, and And we really get how screwed the world is by yeah. just by her reaction. She knows that 14 people are out and she's like, that's it. You, you, you got to You got to bomb the city, bomb everyone in it, bomb me. I'm going to go home and spend time with my family before that. Um, definitely an, an interesting choice to, to focus on that before the outbreak of someone that knows how bad it is. And the delivery of so many of her lines were fantastic. And specifically, it was Christine Hakeem. Uh, shout out to her because just Great the job. way she says bomb, it's a very it's one word, very simple. But just the delivery was like, oh, damn, this is this is really bad. And the, and she was originally brought in. They wanted her to figure out a cure. And it was there is no vaccine. There is no medicine. Just bomb. So just that short. I mean, those kind of two, three sentences together just tell you, like you said, how screwed everyone is in this universe. And it, for it to be two days before outbreak day in Indonesia, and we see what happens two days later in Texas, also kind of shows you how quickly all this spread. Quite, uh, quite an opening. Once again, interested to see if we continue to get further cold opens, further flashbacks like this, or maybe they're going to be, start becoming closer to the series. Are we going to get more flashbacks of like Joel backstory of after outbreak day or how the structure is going to go? I'm very interested to see, but uh, Mason said something on the official podcast about how cold opens are, are, are such an interesting thing that they can't do in the game because an audience will never be more receptive to like a new perspective or a new idea than right at the start of a television episode. You can't do that in the game, right? Yeah. We, we even see some issues with frustrations of that in The Last of Us Part 2 that we won't talk about because of spoilers. But you, you, the audience is very receptive to a short scene of an interesting new perspective before the credits. Uh, and they're, they're obviously taking... It just, I doubt this will be the last opportunity they take to explore that because that seems like a uh, storytelling device that they're very interested in doing. But anything, uh, anything else on this section before we hop back to our friends Joel, Tess, and Ellie? Well, I'll just say it's not just something they like doing. It's something that they they have nailed through, I mean, through two episodes, but they've done it very well. Agree. So part two, back to Boston. Cure. Ellie wakes up to find Tess and Joel watching her, with Joel pointing Lee's rifle at her in case she turns into an infected. But Ellie made it through the night, and her bite mark that she says is three weeks old is still not getting any worse. Joel is convinced they should turn back, bring Ellie back to the QZ, but Tess notes Ellie wouldn't survive long there. Someone would notice her arm, they would scan her, they would kill her. Better them than us, Joel says. 
You need to stop talking about this kid like she's got some sort of life in front of her. Tess gets Ellie to reveal that Marlene and the Fireflies believe that whatever happened to Ellie's infection is the key to finding a vaccine. And the plan was to get Ellie to a Firefly base camp somewhere out west where doctors are working on a cure. Joel immediately is dismissive of this idea, saying they've heard all about vaccines and miracle cures a million times, but nothing has worked. Tess does not argue with Joel's skepticism, but says that regardless of whether Ellie is the key to a cure, what is important to them in this situation is that the Fireflies believe that she is. If she can still get them the truck that they want, they might as well just finish it. Joel reluctantly agrees, and the trio set out together. It's a, it kind of answers some of the questions we had about the end of last week's episode and jumps into it immediately. And I, I think, I mean, you kind of immediately see the, how serious Joel and Tess are about the situation when Ellie's kind of waking up and stretching and turns around and they're both just staring at her guns pointed. So it was a great way again to kind of portray their feelings in this situation. And from a, a cinematography standpoint, I, I love Ellie kind of being in this light. And if you want to look for like something that it, it means or symbolizes her is kind of the cure, but for her to kind of wake up, turn around and just see them staring at her really drove home how they have kind of been the last 20 years in this post-apocalyptic world that anybody with any chance of being infected, they're they're not taking hardly any chances. Yeah, so last week in the spoiler section, my crafting upgrade was just a small nitpick on the premiere. Of I, I sort of wish this scene had been in that premiere, just for the fact of you get a better idea of the mission, of like what they're setting out to do. They got to get Ellie out west to help make this cure. Um, it was a it was a small nitpick, and and I got it because the the episode was pretty long as it was. But that was that was something that was in you know peek, peek behind the curtain of the spoiler section that is that is now safe. Uh, that was one of my nitpicks of last week's premiere. That was really my only nitpick of the premiere, which I thought was amazing. Um, there's there's some interesting differences in this scene from the game. So one one change that I find is interesting is in in the game. Joel tells tells them this and Joel, er, excuse me, Ellie tells them this and Joel has that same disbelief. But Tess turns to Joel and asks, what if it's true? Like, what if? And Joel's just like, what? I can't I can't even believe it continues his disbelief. But in the show, Tess seems to be, in, in my opinion, by this moment, she's been activated with a little bit of hope by the fact that maybe this is legit and maybe Ellie really could be the cure. But she seems to know better than to try to convince Joel to hope. And so she instead chooses to play to his pragmatism instead, just focusing mm -hmm. on, hey, if the Fireflies believe it, she's still worth something. We'll get that truck. We'll go get Tommy. That's important. But she seems to be processing this a little bit differently than Joel. I think that she is something is awakening inside of her that she hasn't dared to hope or dream about in a long time by seeing the fact that this kid actually did make it through the night. What I, I loved in. You mentioned this at the beginning. It, it really felt like Bella Ramsey found her stride as as Ellie in this episode. It started right away. There were multiple times I audibly laughed at Ellie. She has her kind of attitude, her mannerisms, her quick wit nailed down. <laughs> they were they were talking about the tests that Marlene 
and the fireflies were making her do. And she said, I think the part that convinced him most is that I didn't turn into a fucking monster. And then talking when they're about ready to go out and she wants a weapon and they immediately both say no. And she just says, I'll just throw a fucking sandwich at them. Both of those got audible laughs from me. I don't think either one was a line from the game. So it, it was a great addition. And I 100% could see those as things Ellie would say in the game, though. For sure. And this is something that uh, I, I really was pleased seeing how it actually played out, because that was a line from the trailer that I was like, oh, that, that kind of seems a little awkward and the delivery is on a little weird. It's because it was spliced together because taking out yeah. like the cursing and um and, and putting it together. And that's just sort of the, the way trailers go sometimes. But I thought the actual delivery of the line was great. Uh, I thought it made a lot of sense. It was a good joke. It was like, well, they had me count to 10 and stick on my left arm. But you know what? I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a fucking monster. Uh, <laughs> I I thought that was great. Um, definitely seen uh, some some of the Ellie classic Ellie sass uh, show through there. Um, we did get a, a listener question uh, from Colin related to Ellie's uh, immunity and the fact that she didn't turn. He asked. Is it possible that the boy who was walking up to the quarantine zone in episode one was also immune like Ellie? That's a good question. Uh, I think I'm safe to say, and I I don't think this is a spoiler because I I think the show was trying to convey this all the while, but just maybe it wasn't quite 100% clear. The answer is no. I I think you're you're supposed to not even fathom the possibility that someone could be immune as I don't think anyone in this world was until ellie happened so no and especially there's some ways with just how they were portraying the 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 kid not really talking and sort of like stumbling and not quite not twitching but just i i think he was starting to show potentially some signs of infection um i don't think he was immune but that is a good question but i i think the intent primarily is that you're supposed to view ellie as this very unique circumstance and obviously i'm interested to see how they explore that further yeah, I think that scene, it, one of its main purposes was to show just how like ruthless and brutal this world is now, that there are no exceptions, even if it's a little boy you find wandering out in the woods somewhere. And it also, like you said, shows between that scene, between the cold opens, just how improbable Ellie being immune to this is. And I think that's a main point that they've been trying to drive home through these first kind of two episodes already. And then and then also, obviously, as we discussed last episode, one of the big purposes for having that kid there was just to, in a, in a very quick and succinct way, show how much Joel had changed over those 20 years and, and how much he had mm-hmm. hardened and sort of closed himself off. Uh, one other small tidbit from this t- scene that was interesting slash amusing is Joel and Tess are like, oh, do you need, need, need some food? You need some of ours? And they're like eating this like, dry sad looking like beef jerky or some shit and ellie pulls out this big juicy looking chicken sandwich uh i I thought that was amusing obviously joel uh, and tess need to need to get better food hookups on their smuggling routes uh as as ellie notes but uh that sandwich looked good i would eat it yeah and another bit of ellie's uh wit there because she said marlene got it from smugglers and then looked at him and said but obviously not you guys (laughs) So obviously important conversation. Anything you want to touch on before we get to our favorite clickety clackers? <laughs> favorite is a uh, is one way of describing it, but everybody was introduced to the the fear of clickers shortly after this. 
Part 3, Clickers. Joel, Tess, and Ellie set off further into downtown Boston. Ellie notices the large craters, and Tess confirms that those were from bombs. 20 years ago, we learned that several large cities were bombed to try and slow the spread of the cordyceps infection. Tess says that it actually worked for Boston, but that it did not for most places. The state house they're trying to get to is about a 10-minute walk if you could walk through a massive pile of debris of a collapsed building. Long way or the short way, Joel asks. Well, it's the long way or the we're fucking dead way, Tess replies, and Ellie votes for the long way based on that limited information. Ellie reveals that she was bitten after sneaking into an old mall in the quarantine zone that was boarded up. Ellie claims that it was just her in there alone, and Tess says, you've got some balls on you, sister. As they're walking across the bridge, Ellie asks, so there aren't super infected that shoot fungus spores on you? Shit, I hope not, Tess says. Or ones with split open heads that see in the dark like bats? Tess and Joel exchange a look, not denying or confirming that, and we hear a screech of an infected in the distance. They head into a flooded hotel, one with an adorable frog hopping along the keys of an old piano, which the internet has now dubbed Piano Frog. Ellie reveals that she can't swim, but thankfully the water isn't very deep. Joel boosts Tess up and needs a few minutes to clear the rubble to get through uh, a section of the, hot- uh, of the hotel, leaving Joel and Ellie to have a very awkward conversation. Ellie learns that Joel is from Texas and Tess is from Detroit, but Joel opts out of answering if he and Tess are an item and also how he got to Boston. Joel tells Ellie that some infected live maybe a month or two. Others have been walking around for 20 years. He confirms that he has killed lots of infected before. Nana Adler may have been the first, but certainly not the last, and that sometimes it can be hard knowing that they were people once. Ellie tries to ask Joel if it was hard to kill Lee, the fully conscious, non-fungal human that was in their way the episode before, and before Joel can answer, Tess opens the door, having found a way around the rubble. They get to the top of the hotel to see that the long way is not doable. There is a massive group of infected lying on the ground, occasionally crawling around, especially when the sunlight moves over them. Ellie notes that they are connected. More than you know, Tess says. The fungus grows underground, sometimes stretching over a mile, and the infected can be alerted and summoned if you step on a patch of cordyceps. Now they know where you are. Now they come. Ellie may be immune, but that doesn't mean infected can't kill her, and Tess wants to make sure she understands. You're not immune from being ripped apart. So the long way is out. That leaves the we're fucking dead way. They approach an old museum, and the outside doors are completely covered in fungus. Tess and Joel used to take this route all the time, but have not since a group of infected take it over. Once inside, they find a body that has been savagely ripped apart. Ellie is alarmed by this. She's seen infected before, but nothing that could do something like this. Her only exposure to infected at this point has been runners. Until now, these are clickers. Years of infection can make a clicker incredibly strong and ferocious. Joel silently mouths to Ellie that they can't see, only hear. They use a series of clicks to echolocate their victims. And after a tense and terrifying sequence of waiting and hoping, the clickers find them and a frantic, desperate fight ensues. With much difficulty, the group kills the two clickers, but not without consequence. Ellie was bitten again, and later, we will find out that, more unfortunately, Tess was too. One of the 
things that I was interested to see how it would be portrayed from the game is just how terrifying clickers are because in the game they are both terrifying to listen to that sound is like nightmare fuel and then they are very strong like you said they've been infected for a very long time and to probably no surprise considering neil Druckmann uh, directed this episode they absolutely nailed how terrifying clickers are in that scene, a scene that was ripped from the game, pretty straightforward, very tense, very terrifying. The moment when the clicker turns and screams at you, when they hear you or locate you, I guess just the worst type of (laughs) feeling you can have both in the game. And as we learn in the show as well, it was, I I don't know if you or people listening to this watch with the subtitles on, but when they were walking around clicking, they just continued to describe it as guttural clicking, which is a terrifying phrase I didn't know about until Sunday. And it describes it perfectly. It's just the noise they make, their mannerisms, everything was perfectly kind of portrayed when it came to the clickers, what were your thoughts on them and and how they, I mean, did they come across it as kind of terrifying as you thought they'd be? They did. Um, And and maybe this is just being a a seasoned uh, player of the last of us, but honestly, for me, it had been a little while since clickers really scared the crap out of me uh, until, until Sunday night. Uh, Just because like, if you've, if you've had so much exposure to them playing the game, you know, their weaknesses, you know, okay, I need to sneak around them. I need to move very, very slowly and and you'll be okay. But uh, they did them really well. Uh, A couple things I want to shout out. They actually brought back the original clicker voice actors, the ones that made the sounds for the game, uh, Misty Lee and Philip Kovats. I think I'm saying that right. I hope so. Um, Also the practical effects on these looked amazing. I think they use a little bit of CGI once it all comes to life, but most of what you're seeing is actual practical uh, effects on their head uh, to give him those those fungal plates and, and that obviously creepy gross fungus. And it's sort of funny looking at some of the behind the scenes uh, shots of like Neil Druckmann being talking to like a clicker actor and be like, oh, yeah. And the clicker is just like standing there, like taking notes like, uh-huh. OK, got it. Um, amusing pictures there. Um, the sound design was incredible, uh, especially there was one moment where. They, they first had their like brush with them and then they they ran and then Joel's trying to like silently reload his revolver and you just hear the I, 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 like right behind him uh, and and just with the sound design and, and the speakers you could tell that he was like it was like right there that was maybe the scariest moment to me and I thought it was very very well done did want to take a quick moment to sort of break down at least the infected types that we've seen thus far through this episode. So the listeners that haven't played the game have a decent idea of sort of the different types. And you might not have known before this episode that there are different types of infected. It's not just the same runny, tenderly, uh, at times kissy zombies, but rather uh, the clickers are probably the most iconic version of the infected from the game, I would say. Runners... And again, I want to I want to say take some of these timelines with a grain of salt because part of them I feel like don't quite make sense and they might do it differently for the show. But according to the Last of Us wiki from the game, runners are people who have very recently turned into infected. 
They're fast. They're defined by their intense speed. Sluggish, sluggish attacks. You notice how the how clumsy they were on Outbreak Day when they were trying to chase Joel and Sarah. Uh, and tendency to attack people in hordes. The next step is stalkers, which we actually get a glimpse of at the end of the episode. The ones that ha- are starting to have some fungal growth on their head but are not fully developed like the clickers. That's the one that gave Tess a little smooch at the end. Uh, the wiki says that these are people that have been infected sometime between two weeks to a year. Per their name, they stalk and hide from prey in the dark and attack at opportune moments. Some latch onto walls and allow the cordyceps to fester, keeping the, hope al- the host alive until prey walks by, at which point they break free of the wall and attack. Uh, these are particularly terrifying in the game because you have an ability, as Joel called listening mode, if you're, if you're playing on one of the uh, non-super difficult difficulties, where you can hold R1 on the controller and you can listen and you can sort of get a sense of where infected are in the room, even through walls. Some would say it's a little bit cheating in a horror game. And I usually turn the listening <laughs> mode off when I'm playing, but you know, I'm just built different like that. Uh, and then there's the clickers. So clickers, according to this wiki are people who have been infected for at least one year. The long time lapse has allowed the fungus to spread all over their bodies, blinding them and forcing them to use echolocation to find their prey when they can't hear them. However, the fungus has granted them enhanced strength, making them quite ferocious in close quarters combat. That's how they can basically rip people apart like you saw uh, that Ellie was, was, was scared of at the start. In terms of gameplay, the clickers, you, you, st- stealth is a must for the clickers. If you're trying to take them head on, they require quite a lot of ammo, quite a lot of resources, and you better make sure not more than one of them is coming at you at a time. My friend Colin also asked, why didn't Joel just shoot them in the face and was like doing body shots first? You might notice they have like fungal plate on their head, which makes it very difficult to kill them with one shot to the face. You can break it. And in the game, if you shoot them in the head, usually they're stunned and you shoot them in the head again. That's usually what will kill them. But again, that takes a lot of resources and ammo to do it that way. The best option for surviving an encounter with a clicker is to never let them know you were there. Uh, and I think they did a great job of capturing that moment in the episode and in the scene in particular. I, th- I thought they did a great job with this. However, I am going to insert my crafting upgrade of the episode at this part because I badly wanted them to do a gameplay mechanic in the game where you might not always have ammo, but frequently you can find a brick or a bottle to grab and throw. And you can either throw it at an enemy to stun them and then rush them and kill them. Or, more commonly, what you would do is grab the brick or bottle, throw it off on a wall in the distance, as they do in the first scene of the game where you meet the clickers. Tess sort of shows you how it's done. She throws a brick or a bottle off. The clicker goes, and goes running off to the other direction, uh, distracting it as you sneak by it. That's such a big game mechanic. I'm not losing hope. I think they are going (laughs) to do it at some point. I need a brick or bottle. So, I don't think, obviously not a spoiler of any kind, but just know that if any future episode... If you see them throw a brick or a bottle to distract an infected, it will make Tom very happy. It'll be his baby girl moment for that episode, almost certainly. Absolutely. Lock. (laughs) They do such a fantastic job, as you said, with the practical effects here. Like you were saying, the like the plates on their head basically serve as armor, which is what makes it so difficult to kill them as well, is that we know to kill a zombie, you have to shoot them in the head but with these there's armor on their head basically so it it's just such a terrifying scenario to be in you get that sense when you 
are in that scene that it there it looks hopeless at times and they they are very i mean joel and tess are very experienced and they are very scared basically during this scene i i will say in the practical effects were fantastic in this episode a couple of the cgi shots were not kind of circling back a bit when they first exit the building after their conversation there's kind of a, a wide shot that doesn't look great. It it when they kind of zoom in and you're kind of panning around, it doesn't look bad, but it's kind of the three of them standing together in a wide shot that it wasn't great. There was a moment on the bridge that was kind of similar toward the end or at literally the end of the episode when Ellie's kind of standing in front of the burning state building. It, it there were a couple rough moments, but I more than anything, I think it kind of speaks to probably how tough it is to just show how just the state of what uh, the world is. And because there were good moments when you were when they look down at the zombies when they're infected from the hotel, like that was a great moment. So uh, it, it was a little hit and miss. But if anything, to me, that shows how probably difficult it is to really show you kind of how desolate the world is 20 years later. I didn't notice. I simply thought that they had knocked over some Boston skyscrapers for this show, which you know <laughs> is a cost that I'm willing to pay. It's a sacrifice. Sorry, Boston. It's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Just kidding. But uh, no, I did notice it a little bit on on rewatch. Notice a couple of the CGI effects. But I'll say, if there is if there is one thing that I'm okay with this show being lackluster in CGI, if if, if they if they continue to nail the characters, the the pacing, uh, the iconic moments, the acting, the writing. All of that is so much more important than than getting a good CGI shot of the Boston landscape, obviously. But uh, yeah, definitely, I, I, a couple of people were, were hitting me up noting some of the some of the funky CGI, but that's okay. Yeah, and it seems like they, as much as possible, went with practical effects, like we saw this week, as we'll continue to see. Circling back to the the hotel scene and something I mentioned, we really start to see more of Ellie's personality in this section when they get to the hotel <laughs> she runs up to the desk and, and is kind of role-playing a little bit and talking about wanting the most expensive suite and uh joel saying you're such a child and her saying you're such a child and and kind of moments like that where you any apprehension i may have had for bella ramsey as ellie was totally gone 20 30 minutes into this episode I, I have a further take on that, and I guess I guess this will be my Molotov hot take of the week because this was something I was not not I won't even say concerned, but something I was focused on was that it seemed like this version of Ellie is is maybe a little bit less warm, less joyful, less yeah, a little bit more angry than probably uh, the video game version of Ellie is at the start. And the more I thought about that, I actually think that. That's very much on purpose, and I think that's a good writing choice is is my further hot take. My, my hot take is saying, previous week, Tom, you're an idiot, because I, I feel like it makes a lot of sense. This girl is, is an orphan. Uh, she's been alone. She's recently suffered some traumatic incidents that have, that have put her in this spot. Uh, she's being ganged up with these two hard-ass, scary people that are trying to get her far away through some of the scariest stuff she's ever been. So... I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense and I'm coming around to that and I'm actually even more interested to see how she opens up uh, over the course of this season because 
uh, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch as I feel like it's not just Joel, but both Ellie and Joel will have an interesting dynamic going forward. Uh, and I think that's actually a good writing choice is my hot take. I, I, I'm going to follow that up with a, with a part take. This is the same in the game. So I'm not knocking the show for this, but how the fuck does Ellie not know about clickers? She goes to military school. She says it's a really shitty school. Ellie, I believe you. You don't know about clickers. You don't know about how long infected live. What are they teaching at Fedra Military School? Like, who is writing this curriculum? What? What? They don't know how to swim. Uh, how? How are these going to be accomplished, Fedra military officers? Like, what are they hoping to get out of this, Jacob? I, I don't understand. Someone make it make sense. Seems counterproductive to teach them about U.S. geography first before you get to clickers and how to swim. You know, basic things that you're going to need in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, I I have a note on that as well, which is that Tess is from Detroit. And we now know that this happened during 2003, during September of 2003. And poor Tess, I hope she's not a baseball fan. (laughs) <laughs> because the Tigers would be in the midst of one of the worst baseball seasons of all time, winding down in September. They were 43 and 119 that year. 119 <laughs> losses. And then you have to go through the apocalypse, Jacob. It's not right. Uh, someone needs to do something. Uh, I, I, I hope Tess had other good sports memories. The Pistons were pretty good around that time, right? Hopefully she's they didn't NBA win fan. a title yet though. That was Oh four. They hadn't fuck, justice for Tess as a sports fan, man. That's, <laughs> that's all I got to say. That's why she's so hardened. She didn't know any sports success. And then the apocalypse hits. There is no, there is no optimism there. You mentioned Gustavo has someone in the running with him for best music in this series. what do you think of piano frogs work? Piano frog. First of all, was adorable. And second of all, we learned from Neil Druckmann on his Twitter that this was not the plan, that the plan was that they had a piano bird that was going to eat the piano frog, but not a real frog. It was a fake frog. Uh, but the the bird would not do it. They couldn't get the shot or they couldn't get it to work. Uh, so then they, I think, I, I'm assuming they instead just animated a CGI shot of, of a frog hopping over the piano. But he's adorable. It worked out for the best. Sometimes it's a happy little accident, as, as Bob Ross would say. So I, I think it worked out great. We also get the interaction between Joel and Ellie when they're waiting on Tess to clear out the room, and which is the first interaction we really get with the two of them. It's Ellie the one that kind of starts it as a way to get rid of the awkward silence. Joel plays along a little bit, but then pass becomes his uh, preferred answer. And by the time they are done, what did you think of this interaction between the two of them? So again, going back to what I said, I, I think it makes sense that Ellie's not so super warm to Joel at the start, but it was interesting that she like reluctantly started it. She gets to be like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to kill time by asking him, asking this guy about his life or whatever. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting note, interesting choice. Um, One thing I didn't think about the first time I watched this episode, and I did think about the second time, was that Ellie asked Joel, is it hard killing infected knowing that they were people once. And I was sort of expecting Joel to be like, no, what are you talking about? You, you, you kill him, you survive, you move on. Uh, and he says sometimes, and he kind of has a sad look on his face. So I'm interested if we, if we find out more about that, if he's thinking about someone specifically, is he thinking about when he had to kill his neighbor with a wrench? Um, I'm not really sure, but I, I found that response 
pretty interesting and of note. We don't get any, any sort of indication that Joel has any difficulty killing infected at all uh, in the game. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. But um, the first of what I am sure many uh, one-on-one conversations that we're going to get with Joel and Ellie. And oh boy, is that going to be a big uh, d- determination of the show's uh, future success, uh-huh. assuming they can nail that, but feeling pretty good about it. Yeah. And, and as I said, with Ellie kind of finding her stride or Bella kind of finding her stride as Ellie, this was a, a, a good first interaction. As you said, that's the driving force in this show for a large chunk of it, because it literally is just Joel and Ellie for huge parts of this game. So the two of them have to have some type of chemistry. It, it was interesting seeing Joel kind of answer the question that way. That isn't a dynamic that Ellie brings up to Joel, especially in that moment. It's one that's discussed in the game, but just not in between those two and not that early on. So it does seem like something maybe done intentionally. We'll see if it's something they come back to, or if it's maybe something from one of the cold opens or, or things like that. But I, I'm glad you pointed it out. Cause it wasn't something I thought about initially. One, one quick thing I just want to note, not really tied to the story, but just want to make listeners aware that we are aware of the fact that uh, Bella Ramsey recently came out as uh, non-binary or gender fluid. Um, but, but Bella said doesn't really care uh, about pronouns is, is fine with whatever pronouns. So probably we're, we're going to continue using she, her just because that's the same pronouns as Ellie. Um, but I'm, I'm also a believer of, you know, calling people and, and addressing them the way that they want to be addressed. So if that is going to, if that changes, we'll obviously make that correction, but, um, just want to get that quick little note there. So we're on to part four, Tess's last stand. Joel expresses worry to Tess that maybe Ellie's first bite didn't take, but the second might. Tess lashes out at Joel over his pessimism and inability to take good news. Ellie is staring out at a beautiful vista that includes the state house, and Joel asks Ellie if that's everything she'd hoped for. Jury's still out, Ellie says, but man, you can't deny that view. Joel stands in reflection for a moment before glancing at his watch. As much as he tries and, generally speaking, is successful in his attempts to shut away his past, Ellie is making it difficult for him not to think of Sarah at those moments. They make it to the state house, but there are no fireflies in sight ready to meet them. Much to the distress of Joel, Tess rushes ahead inside to check the building, and there are fireflies there, but not alive. At least one of them had gotten infected and seemingly none of them have survived. Tess desperately searches for a radio, a map, anything to point them to a next step. She tries to ask Ellie where they were planning to take them, but she doesn't know, just vaguely west. Joel, not understanding Tess's behavior just yet, tries to put a stop to it. It's over. We're going home. And Tess snaps. That's not my fucking home, she says. Our luck had to run out sooner or later. And a look of utter confusion sits on Joel's face as Ellie realizes the truth. Fuck. She's infected. Joel turns back towards Tess in disbelief. Show me. Tess tries to take a step toward Joel to comfort him, and he immediately takes a step back. He's scared. Tess shows the bite mark on her shoulder, and it's bad. The infection is already showing, and it's spreading. You can see the fungalness of it all. Tess pleads with Joel to examine Ellie's arm. Her recent bite mark is not showing any signs of infection. Look, Joel, 
this is real. Joel, she's fucking real. Tess begs Joel to get Ellie to Bill and Frank, saying they'll take her off Joel's hands because he will convince them to. I never ask you for anything. Not to feel the way I felt, Tess says. This is your chance. You get her there, you keep her alive, and you set everything right. All the shit we did. Tess is desperate in what she knows are her final moments for redemption. An infected firefly lurches on the ground, and Joel walks up and shoots him in the head, and the tendrils of the cordyceps on the ground writhes around the body. About a minute away, the horde awakens, and they start running toward the statehouse. Tess knocks over barrels of gasoline and grenades, getting the statehouse ready to blow. As her last act, she will make sure that the infected cannot follow Joel and Ellie. Save who you can save, Tess tells Joel. She needs Joel to understand he can't save Sarah. She's gone. But he can save Ellie. Without any final words or embrace towards Tess, Joel grabs Ellie's arm and drags her out of the state house, leaving Tess to make her last stand. Infected pour into the building, and a stalker sees Tess in the corner as she is trying and failing to light her lighter. He approaches her, but Tess doesn't run. He gently grabs her and initiates the grossest kiss in television history, sticking the tendrils in her mouth, attempting to turn her. Finally, Tess ignites the lighter, closes her eyes, and drops it, igniting herself, the infected, the whole state house in a fiery blaze. After but a fleeting moment, Joel turns and starts walking on ahead, leaving Ellie to stand by herself, trying to process what just happened as the credits roll. Man, one of those scenes that they had to nail, it was different. We'll talk a little bit about that, but start off first. One of the things that was a bit different in the show than the game is Ellie isn't bit in the museum in the game. She is in this one. Her and Tess are simultaneously bit and it helps drive home Ellie's immunity because Ellie was bit and it is just basically a cut. Tess is bit and it is an infection and it is spreading. And so it's a way to in the game. And we've mentioned the spores there's a scene where Ellie just walks into a basement, I think a subway with just spores everywhere and breathes them all in and doesn't turn. And that's kind of their way early on of showing how she is immune to this because they didn't use spores. I think this might be why they had her get bit in the museum because you can see they're bit simultaneously. Ellie is fine. Tess is turning really drives home Ellie's immunity in this scene and really kind of eliminates any doubt to Joel that she is immune. She is different. She might actually be the cure this time around after he kind of said at the beginning of the episode, he's heard it so many times this time it might actually be different and that she might actually be the cure. And so it was an interesting decision that they made. One of the changes they kind of made during this episode to, to have her get bit, but I, I think it worked. Yeah, they they had they had to make it abundantly clear towards both Joel and the audience and Tess for that matter that uh, that that this is legit. This is this is not a one off weird weird thing that happened with that one infected. 
because of what has happened to her, because of who she is, she is immune. She cannot get infected. Uh, and that becomes abundantly clear. I think the show does a great job with the practical effects on Tess's shoulder. Uh, and they, they did a good job with obviously the corpse that we met in the cold open of just showing the visible effects of the infection on the flesh, on the body. Uh, we don't get quite as much of that in the game, um, but I, I think they did a good job of, of illustrating that really well. It also demonstrates the very real threat of the infected going forward, because in this first interaction with just two, it's just two, it's just two clickers, two of our three protagonists get bitten. And we know that Joel and Tess are very capable. That just shows you how capable and threatening clickers are. I feel like that's obviously very important to establish a lot of the stakes of any interaction they have going forward with infected. Um, and especially obviously now that they're outside the quarantine zone, spoiler alert, it's not going to be their last encounter with infected. I feel pretty confident saying that <laughs> we got one of the moments that, that, um, that means a lot to fans of the game, which is that moment where Joel asks Ellie if that, you know, at, at looking at the views, asking, is that everything she hoped for? And she says, jury's still out, but man, you can't deny that view. And she looks at Joel. It's, it's such a small moment. And it's again, another reason that I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann are involved in this property, because if, if, if any like random director or, or showrunner could have been brought in, it would have been so easy for them to overlook that moment and, and not, get the importance of it but it's it's such a nice beautiful small tender moment where you can see for the first time that joel is thinking about sarah um and he can't help it he he tries not to but he sits there thinking about ollie for a second and then he looks down at his watch and it's something i've seen different reactions to and the this week i saw somebody comparing it to the halo game and uh the kind of the other big video game adaptation and they basically said why couldn't people who cared this much write the halo game and it speaks to that moment because as you said if it wasn't somebody that was a fan of the game if it wasn't neil Druckmann involved you just pass over this moment it's probably something that it isn't in the show but it's a it's a powerful moment because it's also having that moment and then then him kind of reaching for his watch that kind of symbolizes Sarah. It feels like the first time he kind of opens up to Ellie a little bit and kind of has some feelings for her basically as like a daughter. And it, it's a, it's a powerful moment that I'm very glad they didn't skip over. And I'm very glad it was almost shot for shot line for line from the game this show does such a great job of they, they can change things up, like we said, but they still keep those big major points. They still uh, play all the hits. And this was one of the moments that they had to play that hit. And it's just another example of, of what uh, I really respect about respect about the writing uh, of this story is that you don't, you don't hear Sarah's name mentioned yeah. once in this post 20 year jump, but you, you know, and you can see, all the influence that she's had over Joel. And you can even see the moments where obviously you get an inkling that Tess knows how much it's impacting Joel and they don't need to say it. They don't need to say, Hey Joel, wow, this is weird. You're escorting a little girl, just like when your daughter died. Remember, you know, like they don't need to do that. They're much more confident in their storytelling and, and the ability for the audience to 
look at these small moments and, and get what's going on uh, in Joel's head. So, yeah, it's not heavy handed. They have trust and belief in the audience that they can kind of make these connections. And it's what we love about this game. We see part it really after they exit the museum, there's a feels like a pretty clear shift in Tess's mindset that she wants there to be optimism. They're kind of talking and she has the line kind of talking about for once, can't you think that we might actually win? And where we mentioned at the beginning, she was kind of playing to Joel's pragmatism. She's not playing now. She's, she's trying to convince him because as we would find out as the viewer would find out, she knows she's been bitten and now she's on the clock basically. And she realizes she has to convince Joel that, Ellie's worth it and that this is real in that moment. And it, it, it's interesting because obviously a lot of things are going through Chess, Tess's head uh, in that moment, right? She's She she knows she's bitten. Uh, and she's probably thinking something along the lines of, like, this fucking guy. Like, why, you know, I've, I've spent the last however, however long with this guy who's completely emotionally unavailable, who can't take good news, who's incredibly pessimistic and, like, I need some good news right now, damn it. Like I like I, I I need a purpose. I need to focus on this hope that is right in front of me because this is the only thing I have left. Um and I, I again, small moment, not not in the game of Tess just sort of like lashing out at him right there. Um thought that made a lot of sense. It was a good little addition. When when they get to the state house, there's no holding back at that point because we find out the truth, we find out that she's been bitten. To Tess, this is their chance to redeem themselves. She mentioned during the show that, or during the episode, that we're shitty people. This is their chance. Ellie is her chance to kind of redeem some of that. If if she can play a role in finding this cure, then all the terrible stuff she's done in her life, it, it can be redeemed because she played a role in helping find the cure and helping save mankind, basically, and... It's because Ellie kind of, as you, I, I think you said earlier, kind of activated something in Tess that she is this hope. And a lot of this also just stems from the fact that um, Tess is staring mortality in the face now as well and changes your mindset, changes your viewpoint on a lot of things when you realize this is it and kind of what legacy have you left behind. And for Tess, she wanted it to be helping Ellie and helping save the world. Basically, obviously she's filled with a lot of regrets. I think in this moment that, uh, she and Joel have been shitty people, bad people that have done some horrible things to survive, uh, to just keep on moving along. There's, there's a line in the game that is not here, but I felt like I always thought it was such an interesting moment of of not test didn't quite snap, snap at him the way we just described, but she turns to them as, as Joel's like, what are we doing? You're smarter than this. As she's like desperately searching for a clue to the fireflies. And she, she says, really? Guess what? We're shitty people, Joel. It's been that way for a long time. And Joel tries to deny it and says, no, we are survivors. And Tess tries to say, this is our chance. And, and that's when sort of the argument and, and the revelation that Tess has been bitten and infected is, is happening. Um, this moment, Tess trying to find redemption and, and trying to do, what is the right thing in this in this last moment? Maybe part of it's selfish, maybe part of it's delusional, but um, it, a, a, a scene that I really liked in Game of Thrones was uh, the limited time we got with Ian McShane's character, Brother Ray, who had this great monologue, and, and the, the core of it at the end was, it's never too late 
to stop robbing people, to stop killing people and start helping people. It's never too late to come back. And Tess has done some shitty things and she is facing mortality in the face. And and she's choosing that moment to come back and, and try and salvage her last moments by doing something right, by trying to get Ellie. She, she doesn't have a ton of time to convince Joel to do this thing that she knows he doesn't want to do, but she just has to get him to do it. So she pulls every trump card uh, that she has. A very interesting, very line that I think we both like that was added in here. I never asked you for anything, not to feel the way I felt. And like, that's all she says. And it cuts off before saying, this is our chance. And that's such a sm small line that allows us to fill in so many holes and blanks in our understanding of Tess and Joel's relationship. I think immediately we can infer that Tess did feel romantically for Joel. And obviously they have some sort of physical connection and, uh, and, and partnership connection and, uh, pragmatic connection but clearly Tess felt a certain romantic way about Joel that he didn't feel back and she understood why and she never tried to push for further than that but she's using this as her trump card I've never asked you for anything uh we've been in this situation for a long time this is what you need to do this is our chance to set everything right and I thought that was that was that was a great addition very small line that's good writing that allows us to fill in a lot of the blanks ourselves like you said, it was it was not something that was in the game. They allude to it a little bit differently in the game. And when she's pleading to him, she basically says there has to be enough here between us for you to feel some type of obligation. I was trying to find the exact line. It's something right along there. But there's enough here that you have to feel some sort of obligation to me is what she says. Yeah. So this is a, a different way of saying that maybe more powerful because, like you said, it it's certainly more revealing is that she clearly feels some type of way that she knows Joel doesn't feel. So I love that. It was a great change and it really kind of lets us into their relationship. We also learn a lot about the tendrils with, with the alerting of the zombies in this scene. They explained it when they were at the hotel, they show it here because they shoot the zombie and some distance away, they're alerted. Uh, the horde that we saw earlier from atop the hotel are alerted. Again, a small detail that I, I love about this is that Joel runs to the front door and sees that they're coming. He's uh, explaining it to Tess and says, we have maybe a minute. He says that at the 50-33 mark of the episode. At 51.36, a minute and three seconds later, they're banging on the door. Maybe he had to learn how to tell time because his watch had been broken for so many years. But so one of those small details where they're experienced enough in this environment to know just those small things like that. Yeah, and we should also say, we, we sort of mentioned um, the tendrils are new. We, we briefly mentioned the hive mind aspect in, in the last episode without really expanding on it. We really see that this is a big change uh, in terms of the mechanics of the infected and how they work is the fact that you could step on something or like the tendrils can like feel a dead infected and send them that way. Really interesting implications. That's not in the game at all. I'm interested to see. Does that mean like if they're sneaking up on a group of infected and Joel would you know like choke one out as he would in the game that all of them would immediately know that that's happening? 
Uh, I'm interested to see if that is the case or how that would sort of play out. Cause you could do that in the game. You could like sneak up, grab a runner, choke him out, sneak up, grab the next one. Like in sort of the stealth sections, if my reading of this is, is correct, that that almost makes that like impossible. So I'm interested to sort of see how they, uh, how they go about with that. Yeah. It's certainly an entirely different dynamic that we don't know a lot about. We're learning with you guys on this one. Tess's last stand, as you described, includes her knocking over gas canisters, pulling out grenades, and then it's a lighter she's trying to use to set everything on fire. This is my crafting upgrade, because there was a lot of drama with trying to light that lighter, and to me, you just knocked over a bunch of grenades, why are you trying to fiddle with a lighter? We learned after the episode... The lighter was also a callback to Uncharted 4. I I would not have had this in the episode. It was kind of my one complaint, especially like you saw everything she had around her. It led to some drama that didn't need to be there. It led to the, and we'll talk about it in a minute, the, as you described, the grossest kiss in TV history. But to me, I didn't like it. It was a it was a fun callback we would learn later on later on. I hope it wasn't kind of horseshoed in for that reason. It just felt unnecessary to me. Yeah, it's like grab a grenade, shoot a yeah. grenade, shoot a barrel of gasoline. That works in movies. Or right? even just bend down. You're you're getting right. sparks. Like yeah, exactly. yeah bend the- down, light it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's it was it, it was just a little cliched for my taste. I get why they did it. They obviously wanted this evocative moment of this stalker getting to first base with Tess, but like, oh, um, like it was, it was, it was gross and it was very effective. Obviously, it's getting people talking about that moment. Um, so it's very effective in that regard. I wouldn't have hated seeing this type of. You know, I, I think this is actually a very interesting addition to the canon of Mason asked, like, well, okay, why are the infected violent? I think that's a cool little detail that if you're not fighting, getting infected, they're not going to hurt you. They're like, oh, here, hey, oh, here. <laughs> I, have I think that that's a really interesting idea. I actually really like that. Um, it sort of adds a, a different layer to the infected in, in some ways. But I sort of hate that it happened to Tess in the in, and we're I'm going to go on a little tangent here in, in terms of the difference from the game. But t- Tess in this moment. So, first of all, this is not infected that. Uh, come upon them in the state house in the game. It's Fedra. Fedra killed the fireflies. Uh, they wiped them out. And now they're seeing someone else is in the state house and, and they're on the way. And Tess makes the choice of I'm bitten. I'm infected. I, I, I like, I'm going to go out on my own terms and I'm just going to take as many of these Fedra soldiers out before I die. She was very big on going out on her own terms. And the fact that this really gross, uh, interaction with the infected happened to her of all people kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way. I'm I'm not going to like hold it against the show too hard, but I would have liked to see her blow him up without this ha- having this moment and then having that like zombie kiss moment happen to someone else just because that yeah. was so defining to the end of her character in the game. Um, she says uh, Fedra shows up and in, in the game and, and Joel's like, Tess says, I can buy you some time, but you have to run. Joel says, no, I can fight. And and Tess says, go, just fucking go. I will not turn into one of those things. Make this easy for me. And she takes out two of the Fedra officers before getting gunned down. 
you, Joel and Ellie have to run through the building and you go upstairs above where this encounter happened and you look down and you, you can hear the gunshots as you're running up the stairs uh, and you look down and you see Tess dead on the ground. It was a very powerful moment in the game. I don't mind that they didn't want to do that exactly, but it, it just it bugs me a little bit that Tess didn't had to go out with that gross zombie kiss happening to her of all people. You could have accomplished her going out kind of on her own terms all the same without the Fedra storyline. And you could have also, I think, accomplished the kiss and what that signified in a different way. But I didn't love the kiss. <laughs> um, it was quite a moment. It was evocative is one way to describe it. To me, as I watched it on the rewatch, it kind of looked to me that she wasn't really in control of her body. Like it, it, somebody on Reddit pointed this out. It was a comment, but like she's standing there still and her finger is the only thing that's moving and she's trying to light the lighter and her eyes are getting bigger as this zombie is closing in on her and she's just not moving. To me, I, I, I felt like she was, turning and kind of in the last stages of turning and that was kind of the fungus in her communicating to the the tendrils or whatever and the zombie and we don't really know how that it's more theory than anything else but we don't really know how all that works and uh, I mean it, it didn't I felt like this scene could have been handled a little bit better with the kiss and with kind of how she ultimately goes out. And uh, there's something slightly poetic there, right? Of of she's she's turning and she's scared and, and she's frozen, but that little last bit of humanity is able to get that lighter and, and throw it on. But like you said, there, there were some ways that it just sort of came off a little cliched and, and some ways that was in the character you didn't like. But um, overall, I, I still liked... Th- th- these are tweaks that we would have made, but I think still overall we were pretty pleased with the finale of this episode and this big climactic moment that is in the game. And I don't try to make it sound like we're not. Um, also the, the line save who you can save. Uh, that was, that was a line in the trailer. That was a big line. in A lot of the marketing material. When I heard it in the trailers and the marketing material, I was like, huh? They wait. I don't know. What, what is, what's, what's the context behind that line? I don't get it. It kind of sounds weird. Um, I, I think it makes a lot more sense now that Tess test was trying to say to Joel, Sarah's gone save Ellie like this is this is a real like she even said she is fucking real like this girl right in front of you this is real her immunity is real save her you can do it uh and that's that's the only person you can save you can't save Sarah you can't save me um to- Tommy's way across the country who knows if he needs to be saved but this is the girl that is right here that needs to be saved so I actually ended up really liking that line obviously this is our farewell to Tess are you satisfied with how much we learned about Tess? How much time we got with her? Yes, I could. I could do with more. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if we get more Tess, given how they're handling these cold opens and and these playing around with time a little bit. Um, uh, heck, maybe we'll get a flashback uh, next episode showing how Joel and Tess interacted with Bill and Frank. I'm. I'm not really sure, but. I would love to see more of Anna Torv. I thought she killed it. I thought she was great. Um, did I, I don't really know her from anything else, but I thought she definitely uh, had a great performance, brought a lot of energy to the role, brought a lot of nuance to the performance as well. 
Um, I think this character has a lasting impact in the story uh, for getting Joel to, you know, and some people might complain that she's only, you know, she's only there to get them to do this thing, but like, that's important. She needed to convince Joel that there was something more he had to do than just surviving. Um, And I think that's going to have huge ramifications, obviously going forward in the story. She's only there for, I was going to say an episode and a half, but she wasn't there for half of the first episode. So you really only have about an episode of her. And yet you can see how powerful of a force she is for Joel. 20 years later, she's, really the only person that can get through to Joel. And so I think that's the impact she leaves. There's a a fair amount of differences between TV show tests versus game tests. Do you have a preference between the two? Uh, I think I prefer show tests slightly. Um, There's a couple fun moments that game tests got that show tests didn't quite get, including when they're trying to go track down Robert and Tess is like, oh, fuck this. And just bam, bam, like shoots, a, shoots a guy in the face. Tess is definitely more violent in the game. She also yeah. is the one that, she also is the one that shoots Robert once, uh, once Tess and Joel realize that Robert's no longer used to him. But, uh, I thought the way they portrayed the Tess and Joel relationship was something that obviously we were very curious about because it's something that there's a lot of room to expand on that from the game. But I thought they did it in ways that weren't overdone. You get a, a little snippet here, a little line there. We can read into it. Uh, and again, I think that's a sign of good writing that they didn't, you know, they didn't give you this long exposition of the history of Tess and Joel's relationship. But through these small moments, we're able to infer a lot. And uh, I, I definitely really appreciate what the show did. With that. I don't know if I have a preference there. There's parts about each of them I like. Specifically, I liked how game tests went out versus how show tests went out, which we mentioned, but there was a lot of stuff before that for that. I liked about show tests. I it's a, it's a toss up. I, I'm not sure which one probably slightly lean towards show tests, but I mean, there were times where I liked how, like you said, she's a lot more violent in the game and she hasn't seemed that quite as much in the show. We obviously spend more time kind of fleshing things out with show tests as well, just by the nature of it being a TV show versus a game. So maybe learning more about her makes us prefer her a little bit more. But both were great. As you said, hats off to Anna Torv, who she made a lasting impact, as you said. Yeah, I also want to give a shout out to listener Nick because I forgot we, we started talking about the kiss. I forgot I had this as one of our mailbag questions. The first person to write into our new Gmail account, nerds at gmail.com, where you can email the show. You can ask us questions. Um, you can ask us uh, to provide further context from the game. You can ask us what our thoughts are on certain things. Uh, definitely, we encourage people to send in their questions. Uh, but Nick asked if we were pro or anti-kiss. I, I think our answer is mixed feelings. But it was it was effective, certainly. But um, there there were some things we would have changed about it. It's the short of it. Fair to say, Jacob. I'm pro the action of the kiss. I'm anti it happening to Tess. Infected need love too. Okay, so <laughs> let's get to our awards. Start off with the baby girl best gay moment brought to life moment. 
I think this is probably the same for both of us, but it is the the view standing looking at the state house, everything you would hope for, can't deny the view moment we both talked about. Is that your choice as well? Yeah, it would have been my choice. And and also the score, exact same as it was in the game. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the score as well and and, and that theme. Um I'll I'll give my honorary shout out to the first clicker sequence, even though I wanted a bricker bottle. Uh, I thought that those clickers were terrific. They were terrifying. Uh, I can't wait to binge a bunch of reactions on YouTube to see people that don't know clickers, experience <laughs> clickers and what they think for the first time, because um, it, I, I think they do a great job of introducing them. And certainly if you were just going into this show with the expectation that all of the infected were going to be the same type of zombies that you were used to. I think the show through two episodes has already done a good job of throwing some wrenches in that to make them a little bit more interesting. Best change of the week for you. I'm going to go with that line. It's, it's not really a change, but it's more an additive moment of, uh, of deepening the Tess and Joel relationship of that line of indicating that Tess did have, rom- at least my reading of it is that Tess did have romantic feelings for Joel, but that he was emotionally unavailable for all the obvious reasons and she knew that um i feel like that adds it makes total sense and it adds some good context and meaning to that relationship and also meaning to how joel has been living these last 20 years that says a lot about how he's processing everything uh small change but uh, i think that was one of the one that was the main one that stood out to me as something i really liked That was my choice as well, and I will give a very, very close second to Ellie saying I'll just throw a fucking sandwich at them because I can't tell you how how much I laughed at that perfect line for Ellie. Who's your MVP of the week? I'm going to give it to Tess, the character, Uh, before we did actors or showrunners, but Tess, uh, clear MVP in terms of the story uh, in my mind this week. She got them through the situation. She blew up the state house to let El- Joel and Ellie escape uh, and further go on this mission. Uh, Anna Torv had an incredible performance in obviously her most important episode of this role and was overall very pleased with how it turned out. But I mean, hey, if you're looking at characters, test the clear MVP. It wasn't it wasn't Joel. It wasn't Ellie. This was uh, this was a test showcase for sure. Yeah, I I wrote down Tess. I'll give a shout out to Neil Druckmann as well for directing this episode and doing a really good job of it. We're going to talk more about that in the spoiler section here in a second. Any thoughts to just kind of wrap up the non-spoiler section about this episode? I'm I'm, tra- I'm, I'm tra- training carefully, so I'm, I'm not going to say anything whatsoever spoilery, but I'm just going to say if you're enjoying the show so far and you weren't a fan of the game, I think you're really going to enjoy it. In my opinion, what truly makes The Last of Us special is the characterization and development and growth between Joel and Ellie and that relationship and sort of where it goes from here. That's really where the heart of the story is in my mind. So if you're having a good time so far and and granted it's sad, uh, we never told you this was a happy show. Uh, There's going to be some funny moments. There's going to be some warmth along the way. I do think there is joy that's going to come uh, later on in the story. And certainly there's some moments that we're really looking forward to as far as that's concerned, but obviously some sad moments coming as well. But just overall, I just want to say, uh, if you're enjoying it so far, I, I think we feel pretty confident that the best Last of Us is still ahead. Next week, 
should be a great episode. We we've heard through the reviews, a lot of people mentioned episode three as this episode that is maybe the best of the series. It's another long one. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, I'm really excited to see what's in store. We got a little bit of a tease in uh, after the show and we're going to meet Bill and Frank and it's going to be really interesting to, to see how that plays out. Nick Offerman, Murray Bartlett. Apparently it's a great showcase episode for those two. I think it's going to be quite a time to be had by all Uh, again. Please follow us on Twitter at TLOU Nerds. Give us a shout if you're enjoying the show. Leave us a five-star review. I want to give a quick shout out to Alex Welch71, who left us this very kind five-star review on iTunes. Said, great context. This show provides great context for those who have not played the video game without spoiling future plot points. Thank you, Alex. That means a lot. Uh, that's obviously what we're going for. So I, I really appreciate that uh, you're enjoying that aspect of the show. Uh, and hopefully you out there are enjoying us leading along uh, with this, even if you are a fan of the game or even if you're not a fan of the game and are just enjoying this story for the first time. Uh, send us an email at, excuse me, tlounerds at gmail.com and we're at tlounerds on Twitter. Would love to hear from you guys. Uh, we've been pleasantly surprised with the number of listens that the podcast is getting and hopefully that continues to grow. Send it to a friend. Spread it like the cordyceps fungus throughout the world. Not just the United States, but throughout the whole globe uh, as well, just like this episode did. Uh, and we're super happy to have you along for the ride. If you've listened this far, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. This is your hard line in the sand. If you do not want anything spoiled, tune away, turn it off, close the app, whatever it is, because we are going to, this is our spoiler section. Three, two, one. All right, Tom, you had some interesting thoughts about kind of the vaccine, the cold open, some stuff about that. What, what were you, or what are kind of your thoughts or maybe concerns about some of that? Yeah. So shout out to our friend, Will. Uh, we are exiting the quarantine zone for these spoilers. I loved how he put that. We, we should start using that going forward. Uh, okay. So I'm not mad I, but I am slightly concerned and on edge with what they're doing with in, in one aspect of these cold opens, which is on back to back weeks. They've given us two highly credible figures pretty definitively say there is no cure for this. There is no vaccine. Basically, we're fucked. Right. And I'm nervous for that because there is none of that in the game. Um there is every indication that we've never been given any indication that if 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 they developed the, the vaccine from Ellie, that it would have worked. And in fact, I think Neil Druckmann's effectively even said that, that it's just like, nope, yeah, it would have worked if they would have taken the vaccine from Ellie, which spoiler alert, again, full spoiler section for Blast of Us part one and part two. They don't do because of what Joel yeah. does at the end in the hospital. Um, that doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm really nervous. Uh, like, I, I really hope they don't bring into like a whole plot line of is, would the vaccine even work? Ah, Joel's justified in doing what he did because it wouldn't have even worked. And I, I think there are some really interesting moral decisions and moral quandaries and, and moral discussion about Joel that I am interested to get to, because I feel like a lot of people view that in a very reductive way that I'm excited that we're going to be able to flush out in a more interesting and thoughtful discussion about that. But I really don't want it to be 
oh, they he did it because the vaccine wouldn't have worked anyway. And I, I, I'm hopeful that that's not going to be the case. I feel like they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't have something cool planned up their sleeve of this is why it would work. And obviously it's something to do with the mutation of the cordyceps for Ellie. But I'm just I'm slightly nervous about that. I don't think Druckmann and Mason are people that in 2023 want to be questioning the efficacy of vaccines given gestures at world. But um, it's just it's something I'm that caught my eye that I'm uh, interested to see where they go from there. But again, I still have confidence in the showrunners. Maybe their team Joel did nothing wrong and they're just laying the groundwork for <laughs> that being the the takeaway at the very end. I I have ta- I have seen reactions. I have talked to people. I know plenty of good, smart, intelligent people that are on very opposite sides of that debate uh, of did Joel do the right thing at the end or, or did Joel do anything wrong? So I'm I'm really interested to flesh that out and, and discuss that. That's going to obviously be on our finale pod, which might be a bajillion hours. Who knows? We thought this pod would be short. We're at 90 minutes right now on the second episode, which was only 40 minutes. So alas, what can you do? And when I said you had an interesting take, I didn't mean it in any way. It was just I hadn't thought of it when when you said it. And it was it, it is maybe a, a fair thing to think about. To me, how I had interpreted those two cold opens is more to show how dire the situation is more than anything else. And it could be both. It's not an either or on this. But to me, it was the first one was kind of laying the groundwork of how this would spread. The second one was laying the groundwork of how serious this is. It could possibly end up being both that and kind of what your fear is as well, though. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's the direction they're going, but I also, and yes, I agree with you. The the larger point of those cold opens is to give more backstory, show how serious the situation is, show that people you know, there were smart people that could be like concerned about this sort of thing. But I also don't think it's an accident that they gave us like the most qualified person we could possibly be spending time with before the outbreak day. A professor that studies fungi definitively say, oh, nope, there's no medicine. There's no vaccine. Just bomb us. That's not an accident for sure. It's an obvious, clear choice that they're making in terms of uh, in terms of that scene and, and the story that they're doing. But I'm just I'm interested. I, I can't see how it connects just yet in the larger picture. So I'm interested to see. I did see someone say at one point that there is one big thing that fundamentally alters the canon. I'm hoping it's not this. I'm hoping it's not that the vaccine wouldn't have worked or something or, or that there was doubts about whether the vaccine would work. That makes me a little nervous. I feel like that would really cheapen the finale and Joel's actions. Uh, if they did that, because I feel like it's a much stronger choice if we're confident that it did work. We wrote down and I ended up, we discussed this a a, a fair amount during the kind of non-spoiler section, tendrils versus spores. It was more that I just wanted to mention that they kind of gave their rationale for why they have tendrils versus spores. It made sense. I mean, the quote was it, it was harder to buy into the notion that spores kind of localize and they don't spread more, which is fair. Uh, it works in a game environment. In real life, there's obviously a lot more questions you would have about that. And then the tendrils themselves are interesting. Wood wide web is the phrase that it was used to kind of describe how these tendrils work. And it's an interesting change. I mean, it's one of the couple they had to make with not having Fedra there either. And 
I walk back my hot take from last week. For those keeping track at home, Tom and I both gave a hot take for the first episode, and both of us walked it back in the second episode. So we're really nailing these. Look, they're hot. Okay, we're <laughs> not we're not going for our most well articulated and confident takes. These are the Molotov <laughs> hot takes, baby. You only get one, maybe two of those every few hours. Okay, you gotta you gotta just <laughs> unleash them. If you'll notice, I didn't give one this week, mainly because there wasn't anything I felt that strongly on. That's fine. You have you have a med kit now. You can patch yourself up <laughs> when, you're, when you're feeling down. Couple, just kind of interesting observations. Ellie again lying about Riley being with her at the mall. Really, just that episode I think is going to be fantastic. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I. I, I... I hope the spoiler geeks that are here with us notice how I slipped it in there that she claimed she was alone, that I didn't want to go in depth there, but maybe plant the tiniest seed of, Oh, was she alone? I don't know. But honestly, not, not, not a big thing in there either way. Cause you can see her with Riley in the mall in the trailer anyway, but um, I hope they name, I haven't, I haven't seen if we have any further episode names, but I hope one of the episodes is named left behind. That's, I feel like that's too obvious of a slam dunk not to have an episode title that way so i hope so really looking forward to that because in the dlc i mean left behind is vast majority of it is story relative to like the gameplay of like the main game Uh, i'm interested to see what different changes they make and again they're adding so much context and different complexities um and also i'm excited because i don't think most of the general audience knows that ellie is gay and obviously that's going to be a big reveal and further characterization of everything that she's gone through and, and is going through. Um, and I, I feel like it's handled in a very tasteful way in, in the game and I'm confident they'll do the same in the show. So uh, I'm excited to see all that play out. And also I want strong requests. I want new puns. Maybe <laughs> they can sneak one or two of the puns from the game in there, but I want a whole new volume of the pun book that is a must. That's maybe more of a must than a brick or bottle. It, it was also interesting in that same kind of scene when Tess is asking, like, is there a mom or a dad, a boyfriend that's going to come after you? And she's like, I'm an orphan. And uh, no. no. And I, yeah, that was another little fun little tidbit that if you were paying attention and you hadn't p- played the game, you probably noticed something there. Uh, Ellie can't swim and that is still the case in the show. So how much time do you think? the show is going to dedicate to Joel finding wooden pallets in the water. I hope it's faithful to the game. I hope he's doing it like half the remaining. No. Uh, I also, again, small tidbit, just like the, the line of like, what you think we have pools in the QZ completely makes sense why they don't swim. Right. That's not, I don't think that's really mentioned in the game. And so you just sort of mm-hmm. view it as like this weird, uh, like puzzle making, you know, uh, lazy mechanic or whatever that all oh, you have to do this because that's just what you have to do for this part of the game. It's a puzzle. Get a pallet and bring her over there to the thing. But um, yeah, I, I, I it would it would be I feel like they could do it once and we would be happy. Um, yeah. But yeah, come on. You got to have one like wooden wooden pallet uh, moment. That, that would be fun. Little, small, small little thing that would make the gamers happy that wouldn't that other people wouldn't think too much about. After watching the museum scene, I jotted down, what difficulty do you think they're playing on? Because, boy, that was brutal. Yeah, so if I, so, I've played, I don't think you've been playing the remake yet. No. Um, I have been playing the remake, and something that's nice, Naughty Dog is doing a better and better job in terms of accessibility and customization of, like, gameplay experience. 
but it's kind of nice that you can actually like adjust it like okay like I want a little bit more resources than would be ungrounded, but like I want the hardest stealth mode or like this. So they were definitely playing on pretty hard stealth mode because they didn't really move. And Ellie made like a small little and like that, that was all the clicker needed. So the stealth, the stealth slider was like all the way on the most difficult. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it took a good number of shots to get him down. So like the enemy durability was there, too. Um, I just I just hope that at one point. Joel suffers a, a wound to the stomach and then he uh, wraps a, a bandage around his arm. That, that, that's, that is what an authentic uh, video game adaptation would look like. Uh, we, we obviously talked a little bit about it. The change in the Capitol building scene, them not having Fedra kind of meant they had to really completely rework that scene to some degree. And again, another thing that they kind of explained a little bit logistically, I don't, know that it would have made much sense to have Fedra chase them across the country, which is ultimately what happens in the game is that each, obviously each stop Fedra's there chasing you. Another one of those things that might work in a game doesn't really work when you translate it to a show and kind of real life. I don't think, wait, hold on. Are they in? I don't think they're really, Fedra's really in the game. I mean, there's allusions to Fedra and like you see, like in Pittsburgh, when the, the the hunters group like overthrew Fedra, but I don't, I don't think we see Fedra after this scene in the game. I would have to think specifically, maybe not. It, yeah, I, think, I think from this point forward, it's just like random other yeah. groups that you run into. Yeah, I'd have to go back and kind of specifically watch, but it would it was obviously noteworthy that they had to basically change that whole scene because yeah, they they were kind of writing out Fedra and and to another point about them changing things i mean it seems we're getting a very different bill and frank in this next episode yeah and just one other thing on fedra it makes sense why they did that because like mason was yeah. just like well why the fuck would fedra be all the way out here <laughs> like they're controlling yeah, the exactly. quarantine zone they wouldn't be like roaming like miles out uh so uh, i thought that made sense as well uh okay so yeah this is my note but like re-watching the scene this was initially i was like what the fuck are you talking about tess like do you know bill like he would not take ellie but re-watching it uh i was like okay like joel is acknowledging that in the seat he's like no they won't yeah. Tess is like what i don't care you'll convince them um so that's interesting obviously we're getting a huge bill and frank episode it's impossible to have not heard the buzz uh about this potential episode it's gonna be a huge showcase for nick offering and murray bartlett i'm glad that you can tell from the trailer it's not like a it's not like a complete bottle episode. Like we're still getting Joel and, and Ellie, but I know it's going to be a nice long episode. I think this one was like 90 minutes, just like the pilot. So I'm really interested to see. I've heard it's, it's uh, emotional, heartbreaking. Uh, one of the best episodes on TV. So, you know, it, I've never heard this much hype about like a third episode weeks in advance, like I have for this one. So I'm really interested hoping it, it, it lives up to the height. I think it totally makes sense as we've discussed before that they've built it a, a better showcase for, uh, a star like Nick Offerman to really, really shine. And, and, uh, and what is, you know, again, probably going to be a limited role. Who knows, who knows how often we'll see Bill, but um, interesting to see what they do. I, I imagine it's probably going to end in a very sad Frank death because his appearance in the game is as Troy Baker phrased, uh, you know, dangling boots in a bad Hawaiian shirt. Cause he's like, he's already hanged himself by the end. So I'm interested if that stays the same, if he, kills himself after getting infected because he's sick of bill shit and ran off to try and find a car battery to leave. I, I get the vibe. They still could be going that way from the trailer. Uh, you know, Nick Offerman. I I, I love the line in the, the weeks ahead trailer of Nick Offerman, like Frank, 
we will never have friends because there are no friends to be had. I thought yeah. <laughs> I was like Nick Offerman meets Bill uh, in a, er, excuse me, uh, uh, Ron Swanson meets Bill in a, in a great way. Um, <laughs> but I'm really obviously looking forward to next episode. The hype has been unreal. It's going to be, I think a really, di- I mean, obviously it's going to be a really different episode. Frank is there for, for one thing. We never actually see the two of them interact. So just from what we've seen, what we've heard, it's going to be different. It's going to be exciting. I mentioned Neil directed this episode. There were a lot of just small little game callbacks that we've mentioned. Ellie can't swim, obviously. Crossing planks, putting down wooden planks. I mean, we saw when they were exiting the museum, walking across a wooden plank, the game mechanic used all the time. Using cloth to bandage. I mean, you kind of got that with Ellie wrapping up her arm with a cloth. Uh, we need him, We need Joel to take, a, as you said, a, a damage to the stomach and then wrap up his arm to, to really fix that. But my favorite use of crafting in the game is when you get an axe. And the way you upgrade the axe is by taping scissors to an axe. Everyone knows that's how you make an axe even more deadly. You tape some scissors on that bitch. The help me up scene with Tess, with Joel kind of boosting her up onto the rubble. That was a fun little callback. Joel held triangle a couple of times. Great. (laughs) He held triangle when he was like moving the like locker or whatever that was covering the door. He held triangle when he was boosting Tess up. Uh, great, huge, huge triangle pushes from Joel in this episode. We see fire killing the clickers at the end, which is everybody's, if you're smart about it, that's how you get rid of the clickers, throw the fire. Everybody, they run to it. Everyone dies. And then <laughs> the the best cliche in video game, to ensure that you don't go back to a previous room, the previous room collapses you better have found all your collectibles in that room because it is gone. You cannot backtrack. We see that in the museum. So little bunch of little things like that sprinkled throughout the episode. Uh, Neil did a fantastic job in this episode. I, I'm pleased with what he did. And I mean, there were other ones. We are the uncharted uh, call out or, or flashback or whatnot and things like that. So fantastic work from him. Anything else you want to kind of mention in the spoiler section? No. Um... Like like I said earlier, and I didn't really elaborate further, but just uh, well, I mean, I guess I kind of did. But I'm I'm now having thought about it, invigorated by the choice that Ellie isn't quite as warm at first, because I think it's going to be an even bigger moment with both of these characters warm up to each other a lot, and I I think that's what's really going to be at the heart of this show, and I I feel I feel like they're going to nail it, so I'm I'm really hopeful. Um, definitely looking forward to that. Uh. Like like I said earlier, the the joy of the Last of Us for me is is watching Joel and Ellie's relationship develop and and the ways that it changes. And uh, as many others have said, this is a story about love. It's not about zombies. It's about these two characters uh, needing each other and finding each other and and learning to trust each other and then learning to love each other um, in a way that is very unique and 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 wholesome but then also scary as as obviously Mason and Druckmann are aware there's some huge consequences that come as a result of this bond but that's i mean the story is about Joel and Ellie so that's that's what i'm continuing to look forward to we got a little bit of the taste of the start of it in this episode but i can't wait to see how it goes from here because that's that's what's really going to be so important to me appreciate you guys supporting us appreciate you guys if you're still listening god bless you uh, thank you for the subscriptions, the reviews, the f- follows on Twitter, all of that. 
If you haven't already, we just ask that you guys give us a review on whatever you're listening to, Apple, Spotify, whatever it is, give us a review. You can follow us on Twitter, all of that great stuff. We appreciate all the support. It's honestly blown me away how much support you guys have given us. Uh, We love you guys for all that. Uh, And we're excited to to be back next week with what surely sounds like a, a really great show and to get to talk about this again next week. So, for, J- or for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everybody.